Welcome to Freedom Matters Today. I am Michael J. Sutton. This is May the 17th, 2022, Episode 9 of Freedom from Fear. Today's episode is titled, What Can You Say to God? What can you say to God? Yesterday I said rather controversially that there is no such thing as free speech. I hold to that statement as being true. For the citizen, there are many restraints on what can be said, and these days quite legitimate boundaries exist to protect people from free speech. We also discovered that speech is never free. There are always consequences to what we say to others. The New Testament roundly condemns gossip and slander, which once again are restraints on the right of free speech. Slander gets 24 mentions in the New Testament, while gossip gets two, Even so, this tops sexual immorality at 22 mentions. The interesting question is, of course, why Christian fascists never talk about the sin of slander or gossip. Without gossip and slander, many Christians would have no reason to attend Sunday services. Slander and gossip are the lifeblood of the Church. What can you say to God? While free speech does not exist, how about our relationship with God? What can you say to God? Now here, this is where it gets very interesting. From the first book of the Bible, Genesis, to the last book, Revelation, the answer is simple. You can say anything to God. God is God. This means he can handle the questions, the accusations, the frustrations and the fears. God is there to hear our prayer And that goes for those who know God and those who do not. Otherwise, how could people who know God ever know God if he only hears the ones he already knows? Prayer is not only for those who do not know God, but for those who have known him their whole lives. Christian fascists do not agree. How are we not surprised? They see religion as a way to prop up their material interests. The last thing they want are people who pray and believe in prayer. They will say things like, Prayer only changes the one praying. The old Christian fascists, back in the day, used to talk about God's will. They supported slavery in America, for example. Their view was that it was God's will, and we had no right to question God's will twisted or appropriated versions of Calvinistic predestination were used to justify the idea that God had ordained some white people to freedom and some African Americans to slavery. It was not our place to question or protest to God what he had ordained. The British did the same with their vile and satanic class system. Yes, the British class system is satanic. It is evil. The upstairs-downstairs society was and is sick and twisted. But it was the belief that everyone had their place, and it was all ordained by God, and no one had the right to question what he had created. Only, God did not create slavery, men did, and God did not approve of the British class system either. The place we should go to investigate this further is the Psalms written many hundreds of years before the arrival of Jesus the Messiah. Many psalms are attributed to King David. 
they were put together as a compilation of songs that may have been used during worship at the temple in Jerusalem for many years. The Psalms are the place to go if we're interested in knowing how people spoke to God in the past. First, it is surprising to know that even though the psalmists wrote well over 2,000 years ago, their psalms read as if they were written yesterday. They often speak to the natural fears of the human experience, and they plumb the heights of joy and the depths of despair. Since this series is on freedom from fear, we will focus on some of the prayers that speak to fear, anxiety and despair. It is also interesting to note that these were probably psalms to use for liturgical purposes, that is, psalms used during the temple worship. We know from the books of Ezra and Nehemiah that after the return from exile, there were schools of musicians who played in the temple and in worship. They, no doubt, used some of the psalms recorded in that book. It is also interesting to note their use in music. Because the psalms are often raw, painful, revelatory statements of the frailty of human life, hardly the kind of songs you would expect in church, it is perhaps one reason why the psalms are often ignored these days or only the nice ones get a mention. Some of the psalms are beautiful, but some are tragic and some are dark. A good place to start might be Psalm 6. Read it. The psalmist is in trouble, and yet he or she does not hesitate to verbalise their pain to God. They know God listens. They also make sure he knows exactly what is going on. For example, some excerpts. I am faint. My bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? The psalmist also says, I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. What can we say to God? Anything and everything. It is not the presence of evil or sadness or trouble or strife that strikes me in this psalm. The psalmist seems to accept the reality of life. How much better off we might be if we had this attitude. We in the West never seem to be happy. But the psalmist's lament is couched in the phrase, How long? How long? How long will this pain continue? It's going on. It is continuing. When will it end? It is in the depths of personal despair that the psalmist is deeply honest with God, not about what is happening, but how what is happening affects him and his relationship with God. The psalmist, the suffering of the psalmist, takes them to God in prayer, not in the abuse of others or ranting or raving or protesting or going to war. But their response, their only response, is to take it to God. Psalm 80. Like Psalm 6, Psalm 80 is explicitly set to music or liturgical accompaniment. Once again, it's not a song that one would expect to hear in a church today. The psalmist takes God on, his decisions, his actions, and his covenant with Israel. 
These are fighting words. He doesn't hold anything back. The psalmist intercedes for the people to God and he complains to God about what is happening in his life. He says in verses 4 to 6, How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbours, and our enemies mock us. This prayer is angry. It is tearful. It is honest. He repeats three times his desire that God would restore them, implying that they have fallen from a great height and are suffering. He says simply, Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. This is not what the Christian today in the West would say. He or she assumes naturally that God always shines his face toward us, that everything in the garden is rosy, that a relationship with God is the path to the good life, but not here. This is a realistic prayer of a man aware of who he is and what is happening around him, conscious of the judgment of God upon his nation. How long? Will your anger smolder against us? Once again, God will never be angry with us, say Western Christians, because God blesses our nation, doesn't he? Doesn't he? Check the Bible, friend. He doesn't. He blesses people, not nations. Psalm 55. Psalm 55 was used in liturgy, which is fascinating for it is a prayer of a person who wanted to escape the current situation but cannot, and in facing it must endure intense unhappiness. For example, the words that are used in verses 4 and 5. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. This is not the prayer for ordinary things. The psalmist is in the pit of despair, in the throngs of terrible fear and a nightmare scenario. It is betrayal, the pain caused by the closest of companions. It is what they have done and continue to do. He writes in verses 12 to 14, If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide but it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshippers. This fear is personal. Curiously, he says that he could handle battle, face-to-face combat with his enemy. That's not a problem. His problem is that his friend is now a traitor, and is bringing him down as he knows his weaknesses and vulnerabilities. The more you pray to God, the more you understand yourself and God, and the more you understand how God works in his world and in our lives. God acts, and God speaks. God changes. He builds and he destroys, and he listens to us. What can you say to God? Anything you want. He's God. He can handle it. Psalm 46. This is seen in the amazing words of this psalm. 
God is our strength and refuge, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Remember, freedom matters today because you matter to God. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We have a new podcast episode every day. Freedom Matters Today explores freedom from a Christian perspective. Be sure to check out our daily blog at freedommatterstoday.com and subscribe. Join me tomorrow for another episode of Freedom from Fear.